Real life street stars. We got a special situation here, man. Stacy Elliott, the ambassador. Um, you know, better known as uh, from what the world may know as Ezekiel Elliott's father, and we're gonna get into that, man. But uh, I, I definitely want to first and foremost give you time to uh, reintroduce yourself. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, where you came from, and we're gonna just jump into it. But go ahead, reintroduce yourself. Tell us where you came from. Well, um. My name is Stacy Elliott. I'm also known as Salahuddin El Muhammad. Um, Elliott is my family name. I was adopted, actually was orphaned at birth. I grew up in the New York City uh, metropolitan area during the period time known as everyone has seen that movie, Paid in Full. That's my era. In the 80s. Um, Used to hang out on A5 in Harlem, go to the rooftop and all those type of things. And so um, started running the streets really at a young age, getting money. Um, at the age, what, 12 years old, I was getting money out there in the streets. Came from a great family, but my parents were older. And so I took advantage of that um, in my youth and just ran the streets. What led you to the streets? You know, everybody has their reasons, right? You know, some people are infatuated with the lifestyle. Some people need to get to their money. Like, what was it for you that made you feel like you had to go down that route? It was the influence of what people call OGs now. Being in that New York City environment and seeing people with nice things, materialistic, material things, nice cars, nice jewelry, nice clothes, um, whether they were street hustlers or they were legitimate professional people. I grew up in that type of environment and I always was someone who was about being successful. And so the streets drew me that, that aspect, the materialistic, you know, fine cars and jewelry and those type of things. And I really believe that's really what really kept me uh, in the streets, what drew me to the streets. For those that, uh, you know, are familiar with the New York streets, uh, tell them what, what, uh, what area of New York you were uh, coming up from. What, what were your hangout spots? What, what spots were you on? What blocks were you on? So, um, I actually... My residence was Hackensack, New Jersey, okay, which okay. was 10 miles outside of Shout out Manhattan, Jersey. Uptown. Um, so my radius of activity as a youngster was between Hackensack, Teaneck, Inglewood, New Jersey, Uptown, Harlem, 155th Street, Grand yeah. Concourse, the Polo Grounds, to 125th Street. Um, yeah, yeah, so you up there. That was my area growing up. And for those that, you know, know the story of, you know, they see a paid in full or they watch some of the uh, the movies of the 80s that kind of highlighted New York City's, uh, I, like you said, the hustlers, the those who have flash. Were those guys, those OGs, were they telling young men like yourself at like 10, 12, 10 11, 12 years old to stay out of the streets, stay out of the business? Or were they kind of encouraging y'all to, this is how you get money, young, young OG? Now, back in those days, you had to fight like hell to be young and get in the streets in them circles. Them OGs back in those days had respect for the youth. 
and they would deter us from <clears throat> trying to get involved. Now, they didn't stop us from watching them out in the streets. I used to be on the corner up, you know, uptown 155th Street in Grand Concord. Uh, no, 5th, um, 8th Ave, excuse me, 155th and 8th Ave and C-A-Z and oh, wow. Alpo and all those different characters. And I was like 13, 14 years old. And so, and then seeing like NBA stars and right. uh, NFL stars and whatever you was a star in, pull up to the Polo Ground Rucker games. And so as a youngster at 13, 14 years old, that motivated me like, hey, I want that Benz with the AMG kit on it and the BBB, BBS rims. I right. want that jewelry, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I started getting money, you know, because um, I did run into um, an OG who we called Just God. And Just God brought me on. He didn't try to use me, but he didn't just, um, the thing that I love about Just God was is that he made me go to school. That's what's up. I would hustle all night, and he still made me go to school and would threaten to beat my ass if I didn't go to school. And so because of him, when I decided to change, I could have an opportunity to get a full ride and go to college and play football. So let's talk about that. Um, you know, you talk about the OG that, that made you go to school. What was the position that you played early on in your football career? Because I assume you played football, correct? Yeah, so what happened one summer, you know, I'm going to tell my age, it's summer 86, you know, 85 or 86. It was 86, the summer of 86. Um, man, New York, New York City area was booming. I mean, as a youngster, me and my crew, we was getting money, we was selling crack cocaine. Um, we was in the streets, um, and it was a big raid in my neighborhood. My whole neighborhood got locked up. And oh, they hit it with the Rico. It was a secret indictment conspiracy wow. type case. Yeah, where they said we were selling to undercovers. Oof. And so one morning, one early morning, they sweep the whole hood. They sweep the whole hood. So when they came to my house, knocked on the door, boom, 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 boom. It was like six in the morning. I probably had just got in. We'd be out all night shooting CeeLo, you know, drinking, smoking, blunts, just, you know, partying, getting money and all that. And so when they came to my house and then my dad came, went to the door and they say who they were that identified themselves as the police. I came to the door, they cuffed me and took me. Thank God they didn't search my dad's house because I had all kind of product all up in there, mm. you know. So they took my whole hood and, uh, and, and, and the juveniles, and I was one, we all went to juvenile detention center and then the older guys went to the county jail. Um, two days later, I got out. I was one of the few people who got out. And when I came home, I went and got my product and went back on the block and started hustling again. Yeah, you ain't learned nothing. <laughs> you hard-headed, man. Yeah. <laughs> right back on it. Yeah. And so the housing authority police pulled up. I'll never forget in a buggy. 
Officer Us, but I knew him as Detective Us. You know, in them days, the police watched you grow up in your hood. Yeah. And Officer Kenny Martin, and he got to talking to me like, hey, hey, Stace, come here. I was about to run. Had the jumbos on me, the yellow tops, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, me and my cousins, they was with me. And so I ain't run. They pulled up in a little buggy, housing authority police. And they was like, you know what? We heard you got caught up in that suite. You need to get your life together. You know, you got a lot of potential. Why don't you play football or something? So with my mind, a red flag went off in my head. Mm, if I go play football, this will help me beat this case. So the next day, I go to school. I joined the football team. My cousin that was there with me, he joined too, but he quit two days later. <laughs> Within those two days, the principal of the school had made an announcement. Anybody that got caught in that drug suite that would have to get suspended. Mm. So Ralph Calise, I thank God for Coach Ralph Calise. Coach Ralph Calise, he came to me after, before practice. Now, I had my jewelry on. I mean, I was you still You jeweled up there. in practice? <laughs> <laughs> you Damn. Know? And uh, I was 16 years old. Yeah. And he said, you know, I feel like everybody deserves a second chance. That's dope. And That's dope. I'm not going to put you off the team. They want me to. And I'm going to recommend you don't get put out of school. Damn. This was the first time man, I listened to somebody that really believed in me more than I believed in myself in that area. Because the streets, I believed in myself. Right, right. <clears throat> and so the rest was history. That year, I had a hell of a year. My first year ever playing organized football. The second year, I was one of the top recruits in the area. I ended up going to the University of Missouri, Columbia, playing outside linebacker. And so that's how I ended up out in the Midwest. What was your, uh, at 16, 17, 18, what was your weight? What was your height? Uh, I was about 6'3". Oh, yeah. Uh, by the time I left uh, high school, I was about 6'4", 215 pounds. Definitely, definitely. Running like a deer. There you go. And uh, as far as getting to college football, um, what is your life like at that time as far as, uh, you know, outside of football and within the college walls? So... To get to college, those two years was real critical for me because I had to give the streets up. Yeah. And sometimes uh, when how, you give the streets up, the streets don't want to give you up. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, it's, and so my little brother, who was three years my junior, he had turned into a crackhead. Yeah. See, back in those days, you listen to the song, um, Cash Rules Everything Around Me. Yeah, Kareem. You know what I'm saying? That song is telling you about what's going on in my era. So a lot of youngsters were smoking blunts with crack in it and marijuana. We called them woolers. Mm. And so how they interpreted was if you smoke a wooler, you're not a crackhead. You're not smoking crack. Because if, it if it's in the glass dick, as we used to call it, yeah. then... That's smoking crack, but I used to. My argument was, crack is crack. No way, no other. Way, yeah. No matter how you smoke it. Right. Yeah. So my little brother had got strung out so bad he would put on three pairs of sweatpants. 
Like he's lost his weight and everything. And so some of my cousins, even my own cousins, my people from the streets would be mad at me because I come on, on the, I come out on the block after football practice trying to get my little brother to come in and they would tell me, man, leave him the fuck alone, man. You know, they call me Supreme in the streets. They be like, yo, Supreme, man. You know, they almost like they want to fight me. Yeah. So I had to do something with the school. I had to set my little brother up in school so he could get locked up and get put in rehab to save his life. It's crazy. Uh, wasn't there someone else in the 90s uh, that, went, that went by Supreme, uh, that followed with the name Supreme in the New York I mean, area? There were a lot of people by the name Supreme. I was given the name Supreme by what we call my enlightener, who was from the 5% nation. Okay. My full name was Supreme being great God Allah. There you go. There you go. Um, why didn't, in college, in college football, like how many years did you go in? And uh, if it did not work out, what was the reason for you? Well, um, I, went to, I, went, I went to college, and in those days, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't, um, it was normal to be in school for four to five years. You didn't leave early like Ezekiel left in three years at the Ohio State. It wasn't like that then. Um, so when I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia, I immediately made an impact. I redshirted my freshman year and started my redshirt freshman year at outside linebacker. My redshirt freshman year at University of Missouri would have been my fourth year ever playing organized football. Damn. And I was starting playing against the best in the country. I excelled at, in college. When I came out of college in 1993 draft, I was projected to be one of the top rounds, going one, some of the top, one of, in the top rounds. And on draft day, day one, my stock fell. I didn't get drafted. Um, Do you know my, my representation wasn't representing me properly. And I knew this because other agents were calling me saying that certain teams was trying to reach him and he wasn't responding. So day two of the draft, I fired him and took on new representation. That new representation tried their best to get me with a team. Had me get about to go to Phoenix. Then one moment I was gonna go to Kansas City. Um, and then he was gonna, then he wanted me to sign with a Canadian um, team. Had it all on lock. I went to, well, I woke up that one morning and I never forget, I asked Ezekiel mom, I said, hey, look, you think I should go to this go meet with this GM and this team and, and go sign. And she said what she usually say, do whatever you want. I went back to sleep. <laughs> so she could have actually motivated you to move forward in the, in one direction and her non-complacentness kind of made you to say, all right, well. Do whatever you want. Go back to sleep. <laughs> I went back to sleep. That's real. <laughs> That's real as it gets. But I got, I got to ask, uh, who were some of the people that you played with, if you remember, um, that made it to the league when you was in college? Oh, boy, who I played with. I played with Mike Jones, who played for the, um, 
St. Louis Rams, who made the winning tackle when they won the Super Bowl oh, yeah. against the Tennessee Titans oh, yeah. against my dude Eddie George. Oh yeah. Um, I, I played. I played against Eric Bieniemy, who's the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. Andy Reid was one of my coaches at Missouri. Oh man, there you go. Um, there you go. Um, I played against. Uh, boy, this is a bunch of people. I can't really think of names on here. But you know what, bro from the fifth floor? Yeah. Reggie yeah, Ballot? Played with him at University of Missouri. Ah, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. You know, I play with a lot of guys. Uh, names is not really on the top of my head right now. Yeah, but man, now that right there is enough in itself. Andy Reed, man. I, how do you think, I mean, Andy Reid, you know, to go from Philadelphia where he was a great coach, we all seen it. Got shunned out of there and to go to Kansas City and do what he's doing. How proud of you are to see what he's doing in Kansas City? You know, Coach Andy Reid was very impactful for me as an 18 year old and a 19 year old. Yeah. Story about Coach Andy Reid I didn't think he liked me. Oh. He used to say little things I, I would term as slick to me. <laughs> and he has this kind of like, strong demeanor about him with a, like this smile he would give you. And so um, one year, you know, at the University of Missouri, we have what is called football reunion. And this takes place during the spring game. And I was talking to some of the players who he directly coached. He was the offensive line coach at Mizzou. And what Coach Reed would always do is we would have what is called pre- practice drills, one-on-ones with the offensive linemen. So yeah. me being an outside linebacker in the defensive end, he would always make me go up against his guys yeah. on one-on-ones. <laughs> and so I remember talking to one of the players who he coached directly, and I said, man, Coach Reed always acted like he didn't like me. Like, he used to call me Abdul. And it was like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and so um, – and I, I didn't know, I, I'm Muslim, so I don't know if, you know. If it's, then, yeah, yeah, he would just, because I would go off and make my prayers you know, in between practices and stuff like that. Right. You know, but he um, was very impactful because very intense. And, 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 and the player I was talking to, that he directly coached, said, you know why Coach, Coach Reed always called on you and messed with you? Because he really liked you. Ah, I see. See, so that's a lesson for young people. There you go. You there know, you go. Because I could have prejudged Coach Andy Reid. So all the success that he has achieved as a coach, I'm I'm proud to say that he was one of my coaches. Facts. You know. Facts. Um, and I I pray for him sometimes because, um, you know, he's had some issues with his children. Yes, um, definitely, he's, definitely. You know, dealing with a situation right now. His son. You know, I watched his sons. They were little at Mizzou. He, one of his sons even died. May God be pleased. Yes, definitely, definitely. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that I know it, Coach Andy Reid. And though I have not <clears throat> talked to him in a long time, when we played Dallas, when uh, my son played um, Kansas City this year, I wanted to reach out to him. But, you know, I just wanted to, I just leave him alone. I love him from afar. Did he have that classic mustache back then? Yeah. <laughs> was it? Was it? You know what? Yes, he did. <laughs> That's yeah. classic. Yeah. Um, yeah. when it comes to uh, having your son, um, was 
Was Zeke your first uh, only, or does, I, don't, I don't know if Zeke has older brothers or younger brothers or anything. So like Ezekiel is my first son. Okay. Yeah, he's the experiment. Okay. All right, he's the experiment. He's, he's the one that made me a father. Right. And this is and this is you. Um, your this is after your college stint, or this is during. This is after college. Okay, after college. Yeah. You have a son. You know, every man wants a son to hopefully follow in his footsteps, in the good in the good footsteps, not the you know not the bad ones. And you actually uh, uh, to get him into football was that something. You wanted for him? Was that something he wanted, or his mother wanted, or how does that play out as far as putting that into his life? So, Ezekiel came in the world during a very um, challenging time in my life because, as I said earlier, I basically turned down playing professional football. Yeah, man. For the streets, I went back to the streets. I went back to doing what I knew best, getting money. Mm. And so around the time that Ezekiel was conceived, my mother had died. And then I caught a Fed case. Mm. And so um, Ezekiel, that name means God strengthens. And that's rightfully so for his name because through him, God has strengthened me. There you go. And has shown me that with patience and doing what's right, you can achieve greatness. Man, that's right. Definitely. So Ezekiel came out the womb loving to play with balls. Ezekiel's mother, who I met at Mizzou, University of Missouri, is a, an accomplished track athlete. Oh, okay. There you go. There okay. You go. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, high uh, learning type situation. <laughs> so, so she could dunk a tennis ball. There you go. There you go. You know, and she's 5'9". No, no. She gifted, so, gifted in very that Very gifted in track athlete. Yes. Gifted athlete period so gifted that they retired her number in high school playing softball oh uh, wow I mean, yeah i so, know they could even do that <laughs> that's, that's amazing that's amazing that's dope so so ezekiel his his mom's friend she took her friend's son to sign up to play little league in st louis you have to be seven years old to start playing. Ezekiel was five years old and cried because he was too young to sign up to play Little League football. I see. Ezekiel would take a sock and turn it into a basketball. Ezekiel loved balls. You see pictures, I, I could show you pictures of Ezekiel and me or Ezekiel by himself. He always got a ball in his hand. And so at seven years old, when Ezekiel was allowed to play football, and he didn't just play football, he played baseball, he played basketball, and actually, baseball is his, his best sport. Really? Yes, sir. I know he baseball. plays. I know he, I know he plays. You know, with the, uh, the on the celebrity stuff now, but and, he, and he's and he's good for it. I'm just curious if I mean, he's he's good at football. So yeah, like, so he um. 
And, and so, and then with, with Ezekiel, you didn't, um, at, you saw at seven, you saw at a younger age, but at seven, when he put that helmet on and that uniform, he was different. Yeah. Before practice, the team would have to run a lap. Ezekiel would always be the first one to make it. Mm. Always. Like, That's... he developed a nickname, we call him One Speed. Because that's all he had was one speed. There you go. There you go. See, like, even when you watch Zeke now, like, the one thing that you see is that toughness. Like, he's running, I mean, he's running people over. He hurting people. You know what I'm saying? He got the breakaway speed. Like, at what age did you know, like, nah, he's destined for some super greatness in this football? Because you've played it, so you've, you've seen it. At what age were you like, nah, he got, like, it's over? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because this may be shocking to the audience, but I never discussed football with Ezekiel, nor did his mom, even though she was an accomplished athlete. Because of my journey as an athlete and how some of my boys we would see go to the NFL and they would come home broke, Right. And how some of my boys, even in college, would get used up through the program and be broke financially, morally, spiritually, just broke. Contemplating suicide, many getting locked up. I, we didn't want Ezekiel to be a dumb jock. Mm. And so even though I saw greatness in him, I wasn't going to be the one to feed his ego to make him feel as though his self-esteem is wrapped around being a football player. Oh, damn. That's, that's... Because personally, as a father, I didn't bring him in the world. And he was planned. I didn't bring him in the world to entertain the world. I brought him in the world to make a serious contribution to civilization, not to entertain the rich and the poor. That's deep. So back, you know, talking about that, right? We talk, we, we had um, off mic talk about just the black father and the importance they play in the role of athletes or just in the role of a, of a man, a young boy growing up, period. Uh, right now we see like LeVar, LeVar Ball's dad, he gets shunned by the media. You've been shunned by the media. A lot of other black athletes' dads, you don't even see them. Um, let's talk about the plight of the black dad for a second. You know what I mean? Like, what are some of the pitfalls and things, the hurdles that y'all have to deal with when you're dealing with the media and, and raising a son that's, that's going pro or that's, you know, playing football, basketball, or any of these sports? Well, let's look at the whole family dynamics when there's a man involved. As men, we are the gatekeepers of our families. Well, if inside the gate, there's a commodity that you want to benefit from, you got to go through the gatekeeper. If the gatekeeper is wise enough to know that your plans is not a beneficial towards that which you want to get, which in this case, our son, we got to move the gatekeeper out the way. Well, how do you move the gatekeeper out the way? You, you use 
the mother, you use the woman, or you use the shortcomings of the father by exposing it. Listen, there's a saying, they say more money, more problems. I say more money exposed the problem that was already there. In any relationship, there's weaknesses. In any relationship, it's like traveling the earth. There's hills and valleys, there's mountains, some taller than others, there's valleys, some deeper than others. That's how relationships are. So what the enemy does is he exploits those relationships. So every one of us know that's a man now or a woman. The transition between woman or, man, or girl to woman and boy to man you start smelling yourself is a cheap way we say that, right? Right. Well now, you're 20 years old and you got $20 million and you smelling yourself. You got new money, new people, new girlfriend, new everything around you. And so the new around you make you think that the old have no consequence in your life no more of good. And so, as a father, they gotta move us out the way because we the gatekeeper. So what can we put on him? So if you want a Stacey Elliott or LeVar Ball or Joe Jackson or Mr. Knowles, maybe it's something in their personal life that we can expose to make them look bad. Create a climate where your son or your daughter, but your son in particular, because we're talking about football players and basketball players, now he has to make a decision to choose his career, his reputation, or his father. And with that being said, um, even before the career, the ambassador is born. He goes, he goes off to Ohio State, um, you're, you're, you're there with him, and you have your ideas of you know your relationship with uh, Urban Meyer. Um, how was that as far as that that tenure as far as from before turning pro from high school, being a beast in college? Uh, what is that like for you watching him, and also for you yourself? Just the rush of it all, the celebrityness, you know everything that comes with that. How is it for you because it created something in yourself as well? That's a good question. See, I did not know that the things that I was doing, like filming Ezekiel, posting things on social media, that I was building the brand of Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. Directly and indirectly, the Elliott brand. Yeah. When. I went to Columbus, Ohio with Ezekiel. It wasn't because he wasn't a good young man. It wasn't because we was concerned he was going to do something bad. It was out of our concern that he grew up sheltered and that someone would do something bad to him. Mm -hmm. Coming from the hood, coming from the streets, 
I knew what was out there. And so I never exposed Ezekiel to what I was exposed to. And because he wasn't exposed to what I was exposed to, at 19 years old, I could pick up on ops. I could pick up on ops no matter what form they came in. I could defend myself with ops. But my son, because he didn't grow up in the concrete jungle, he didn't have that natural instinct to pick up on an op. And so I knew at a certain point, if he was gonna be successful as a young black male, he would have to develop those life-saving skills that we develop living in America. But at 17 years old, because he went to college at 17, I did not see those instincts kick in yet. Mm. Gotta be overprotective. So when I go to Ohio State, I say, I want my son to have a normal college life. So I don't want to be all around him all the time. And we never had that kind of relationship anyway, because even when he was growing up, I stayed busy. I worked a lot. I was in the community doing great things. And my son spent a lot of time with his mom. She took him to all his practices and things like that. And, and so he never got smothered by his father and he never was a type of child that seemed like he needed me to physically talk to him every day. Yeah. My presence was good enough. There you go. Sometimes that is good enough. Um, yes, sir. Your relationship with, uh, you know, the coaching staff, you know, uh, Urban Meyer, how was your relationship as far as the way they catered to Zeke coming up? Well, this is the thing that, you know, is that if I may say, let me get back to his recruitment because in the recruitment of Ezekiel Elliott, which is well documented, maybe one of the most documented recruitments in this modern era by yours truly <laughs> and other media outlets. <laughs> um, when we met Urban Meyer, I called the Urban Meyer factor. Urban Meyer, we couldn't get a Roy from him because everything that Urban Meyer talked about was championships. We're going to win championships. And when he talked about winning championships, he, meant this shit. <laughs> he didn't have shaky knees either when he talked. He didn't stutter. And so that was our language because Ezekiel had been raised to be great. And I wasn't afraid for my son to be challenged because like I told Coach Urban Meyer at one point during the recruitment, <clears throat> when you build a building and you put a board in the corner to see if the wall is strong, if the board break, then the wall wasn't what you wanted. So give my son an opportunity. And if he breaks under that opportunity, then he ain't the man for the job. I just want you to be fair. So in that process of recruitment, I dealt with a lot of the highs and lows that go along with being a father. And me and Urban Meyer would bump heads. Give us an example. Okay. <laughs> so my youngest, um, I have a daughter that's 16 now, she was nine. One of the best track athletes in the country right now. Fire. Y'all just breeding them. <laughs> <laughs> This little girl has always been very outspoken, though. Uh -oh. 
so during the recruiting process, we went to the University of Nebraska. We had already visited Ohio State, maybe several times, and she didn't like the idea that we were visiting another college. She had already committed to Ohio State. She's the first in the family to commit. So we're up in the University of Nebraska's coaching office, and she keep going, OH. Oh, damn. Go Bucks. <laughs> now that's a little disrespectful, eh? We just so uncomfortable, like a like, flea. Like, we call her flea. Yeah, you got to chill. Like. Urban Meyer heard about that story, and he sent her a letter. Mm. Oh, damn. Now, I didn't realize how emotional I was, because it, during the process, being an accomplished football player at University of Missouri, his mom, accomplished track athlete at the University of Missouri, part of my heart, I wanted him to go to Mizzou. Right, right, right. And I felt like they wasn't recruiting hard enough as the Urban Meyer was. So me and Urban had some words one night where I straight up told him that don't ever send my daughter a letter without my permission. You ain't allowed to talk to my wife. You ain't allowed to talk to my children. I'm the man of this house. I was like, because- It seemed was, like you came Denzel though. It, it seemed like I mean, I just, some, it was just- On some training day shit. Like, it was rough. I'm it the was man tough. of this bitch. Yeah, yeah, he's true. Cause I'm six four two hundred. Well, I, back then I you was like six four three hundred. Come on, man. How the hell I'm six four three hundred standing there with my family? You come up, greet everybody, yeah. but you don't say nothing to me. Oh yeah, shit. You probably had that look. You probably <laughs> looked unapproachable. Uh, Keep it so, real. So anyway, <laughs> me and Urban was at it during the process. Not the whole process, but that one time when I told him, "Don't ever do that again." A matter of fact, you ain't allowed to talk to my son because Ezekiel had committed to Ohio State at the time. I said, if you call him one time, making him decommit. Mm. Man, Urban, he sent me an email. It took me about a week to read it. And when I read it, I said, you know what? Maybe I ought to trust this guy or at least give him a chance. You said a lot of great things about Ezekiel and what his future would be. And so, um, but yeah, so I didn't really, me and Urban Meyer, I really didn't grow to have a lot of respect that turned into love for him until I saw him concentrating on the development of those athletes, not as athletes, but as human beings. That's what's up. Now, now, to harken back to the story of you approaching, you know, as a dad or as a man, right, as a black father, we're there to protect our kids. Do you think sometimes they get misconstrued or maybe, like you say, because you're 6'4", you're big, you scare people, and that's why they kind of try to keep us out because of the, the power that we have? You know what I mean? I believe, bro, for the ignorant, yes, but for the wickedly wise, no. Look, brother. Talk to us. Talk to him. My son went to the NFL at 20 years old. He was a multi-millionaire at 20 years old. The 
those hundreds of thousands and millions of jerseys you see people wearing, that's the name of my father. There you go. The man who adopted me when I was an orphan. There you go. So anytime you see Elliot, that's the man who adopted me. Yeah. That Ezekiel ain't never me. So how does a 20-year-old, a 25-year-old, just because he play a sport and now he's a multimillionaire become my boss? How does he become the head of my family? It's not, it's not his family. He didn't even have the power to name himself. So why does America, white America in particular, want to make my son the patriarch, the head of a family he didn't start, and make me, I'm not talking about me in particular, I'm saying in general, using us as an example, someone of no consequence now. I was there when the head came out. I was, no, I was there before the head was developed because it all started with the thought. Yeah. And when I knew he was in the womb with his mother, I talked to him. Yeah. Because sound travel on water. As soon as the ears are developed, he can hear your voice. So now, after three trimesters and two decades, 20 years, you wear my name, but I have no relevancy anymore. What I think J. Cole said, uh, what do you say, uh, you know, sad story, uh, black American dad story. <laughs> and it's most likely because they do paint the mothers there for these young athletes that kind of, especially young black athletes. I rarely see the fathers there through the college years and when it comes to draft day, which we're gonna get to, um, I rarely see the black father there. It's normally the mother sisters, brothers, siblings, things like that. And that's, a, that's what's shown. Um, and maybe you have more light of why that is, I don't know, but uh, what was your scenario in which uh, draft day to where your son is gonna go from playing you know, collegiate football to going to a professional business, uh, hopefully garnering millions of dollars into the professional world of sports? Uh, where are you at in this picture and what is your thoughts as far as coming into it? Well, see, I was a little different because remember I went to Ohio State and I became the ambassador. Oh, yes, yes, the ambassador. Explain what the ambassador does. Yeah, no, 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 no. Explain that role. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> We're building brands. He finessed his way into the ambassador yeah, role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're building brands. Building Check brands. this out, Urban. <laughs> That's how you got to do it. I'm about to let some secrets out here. Tonight. Oh, real life street stars. <laughs> When I was in the streets, oh shit, <laughs> and I had that little mishap with law enforcement, I had decided to get myself together and go back to what I knew, the practice of Islam. I joined, the, I, I was already a member of the Nation of Islam. I'm a follower of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. I'm a student of him. And I became a minister in the nation of Islam. Most of Ezekiel's life, I've been a minister in the nation of Islam. And so 
I had already developed the oratorial skills to speak, to do interviews, to deal with people because of being a representative and a student of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. And also being a former athlete myself doing interviews and things like that. And so I would be around the football facilities and I'm around Coach Urban Meyer. I would never be around Ezekiel. Like, Ezekiel, do your thing. You would chill coaches. I would be around a facility with Urban Meyer. And I was developing love for his program. Hmm. One day he asked me to speak to recruits and their parents, not knowing that that's what I do. There you go. And so because I believed in him and his program, I could passionately speak to them about it. And I'm also living it with right. through my son. And so my fame went out throughout Buckeye Nation. And I believe it was a reporter named David Biddle who started coining me as the ambassador of Buckeye Nation, the ambassador of the Ohio State football team. And so that's how for, the ambassador Elliott's fame went on throughout the For land. the Buckeye Nation, uh, can you name some of the recruits that you had a hand in as far as bringing in? Yes. Mike Weber. Okay. Chase Young. Chase, okay. Um, Dwayne Haskins. Ooh, okay. Um, oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, I mean, I know all of them, but I had hands with, uh, let me think here. My mind ain't clicking fast. Yeah, enough. I know. I know they, they up there. <laughs> them them um, alone. Yeah, I can't, I can't even think right yeah, now for some alone. reason. I got mind blocked. Nah, them alone. Just So, so when Ohio won uh, the championship, did you get a ring too? Like, well, uh -oh. so I wear this <laughs> ring. <laughs> Talk about anytime I represent my son, my family, or go to a game, I put this national championship ring on. Now, this ring right here was given to me by Ezekiel. I will wear it until my son gets a Super Bowl ring. There you go. There you go. Um, I did get a national championship ring uh, for being a parent. Some type of way I lost it or someone stole it, so I gotta get a replacement. Do those pop up anywhere? Like where you have to, like, does anyone turn them in or they just melt them yeah, down? Yeah, they might, they, might, they might pop up. <laughs> <laughs> On Pawn Stars or something. Yeah, Pawn Stars, right. <laughs> but, but mine haven't popped up. Okay. But I got a national championship pendant, national championship ring. Yeah. Definitely. Now, I got to ask, uh, as we get towards uh, draft day, did your son tell you as far as who he wants to – because I, I, I remember that was documented as well, but does – are you talking to him as far as where he would like to go and where, of course, he ends up going? Uh, is that conversation had between y'all two? I mean, we had – now, I said earlier, I never talked to him about sports, but we did have conversations about that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I said earlier I had started a company called Fifth Down Management. My son had became my first client. So I was very much involved with his 
team, his agent and, and his team in the pre-draft process. Dallas was interesting because at the time, I don't know if you remember, Coach Linehan was at the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. He was the offensive coordinator. Yes. When he was the coach of the St. Louis Rams, he lived in St. Louis, and his son played baseball, Little League baseball with Ezekiel. So we knew the Linehans. Yes, we knew the Linehans prior to the draft. They wanted to talk to me when I met them at Pro Day, and I felt very uncomfortable because I'm not Ezekiel's agent, and I mentioned it to Ezekiel's agent, Rocky Arsenal, and he said, no, Stace, go ahead. You talk to them, I'm going to talk to Jerry. So we knew they were high on Ezekiel, but we didn't know if they were going to be able to get him because what I was starting to hear close to the draft was that Philadelphia was going to trade up to get Ezekiel. Draft day was very interesting. Take us through. If any athlete or family have the opportunity to go to the green room, you do it. It's a once in a lifetime experience. We're sitting at the table. My family, Ezekiel with his agents. Across from me is a young man that played for the LA um, Rams right now, Jalen uh, Ramsey and okay, his family. Jaylen, yeah. Across over here is Joey Bosa, okay. which is a Buckeye. He's like okay. a nephew to me. And in that direction, I can't think of the, the player's name, and it may, it may come up. Y'all may remember his name, but he was the one whose father during the draft allowed a video of him smoking weed or something right at the draft during the draft. His name will come to me. But we're sitting there, and Wentz is drafted number one. Yeah, Carson. Golf is drafted number two. Yeah, Jared. We knew Joey Bosa was going to get drafted high, but I didn't see him going number three. But in between him getting drafted, no, he gets picked. So now we're on the fourth pick. Many uh, draft analysts were saying that the fourth pick with the Dallas Cowboys, Jalen Ramsey's going to go, or Ezekiel Elliott. Now, Ezekiel had the highest draft grade of any athlete in that draft. Mm. But remember, traditionally, Running backs wasn't going that high anymore. So while we're sitting there, they got the cameras on both tables. Um, Ezekiel gets a phone call. And it's Coach Brown from the Dallas Cowboys, and he said, hey, you know, we're thinking about getting you. Ezekiel was so much shocked, he drops the phone. Mm. There you go. This young man, he played offensive tackle. All this drama's going on. 
And we don't know that on TV they're showing him his stepfather or father or something released a video of him smoking. So we think that someone traded up to get Ezekiel. Right. And we're like, oh my God, we thought it was Cleveland. We thought, I think if I recall, we thought it was the Cleveland Browns. Ezekiel did not want to play with the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Come to find out the drama was the young man getting exposed for smoking by a family member. Yeah. So now, Ezekiel get another call. It's Jerry Jones. Matter of fact, he dropped the phone the second time. The first time he didn't. He, it's Jerry Jones, he dropped the phone. Wow, like, oh wow, you know what I'm saying? And then he called back. He knew he could get yeah. He knew he could get <laughs> yeah, you going to... When you go to the running... Jerry? Yeah, you could get Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, um, you, you yourself, Dallas Cowboys, uh, what are your thoughts at the time of, you know, just everything you know, everything that's happening with the Cowboys at the time, uh, knowing the Linehans? What are your thoughts at that moment of Zeke, Cowboys, you know, let's you know, let's go. You know what my thoughts were? It wasn't even about the Cowboys. It was about the journey. When I seen Ezekiel get up and hug his mom, and I saw her cry, and I saw him hug his siblings, his sisters, and I saw the tears come out of his eyes, my mind went back. And I saw the hills in the mountains, in the valleys. I saw the sacrifices. I saw the loss. I saw the struggle. I saw the pain. I saw the want and you don't have to get. I saw all of that. And it was a moment for me as a father that I felt so proud and so happy for Ezekiel because He's a young man who works hard and nothing has never been given to him. And having a father like me, being committed to the mission of changing the black community and changing humanity and helping the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, he never had nothing because I sacrificed him. I sacrificed my family, and so now I see the fulfillment of the promise of the God, luxury, money, good home, friendship in all walks of life, through our hard work and through the sacrifice of those who came, who, my family. So it was like, it was surreal. It was surreal. Now the next day, Jerry Jones flew us on a private jet to Dallas. And when we made it into his office, we sat down on the couch and Mr. Jones lectured me and Ezekiel for about 45 minutes, not on football, but on the importance of a father staying close to a son and a son staying close to his father. I know that made you feel like, okay. Well, I didn't know how much that wisdom he was giving us would be needed 
because of the new journey and the new level. And as T.D. Jakes, I've heard him say is, new levels bring new devils. And so this new level, us being close and loving one another more than the chatter outside, because remember, I'm the gatekeeper. And so Jerry Jones, he said to us, the first thing out of his mouth, he said, I investigated you talking to Ezekiel, thoroughly. I left no stone unturned. He said, I drafted you because of your relationship with your father, what I saw on ESPN E60, because I allowed ESPN E60 to do these features on us where they mic'd us up and they was intimately around my family. And I did that as we talked earlier about this show, we'll talk later about, because I wanted to give America a view of a black family in America whose parents, father in particular, love their children, are dedicated to their children, just like everybody else. And Jerry Jones, he talked about the E60 piece. He saw that. He said, I left no stone unturned. And why would Mr. Jones leave a stone unturned when you're about to pay a young man 20 years old $25 million? You're going to do some investigating. And so I thought that when I look back at that conversation, I thought that that was God working through Mr. Jones at that moment, getting me ready for this new journey that I would take as a father. Now, I got to ask you, because when uh, Zeke hit the league, they hit the ground running. Like, you know, his first year we had Jason Garrett. It was like 13-3. and They go to the playoffs. They play Aaron Rodgers. Um, You know, and it was – he was like the focal point of the offense. You know, he was like, wow. then, you know, the offseason comes, and then you start seeing, like, you know, they start the, – the, the offseason thing happens, he gets in trouble, or, you know, the little things start popping up. What was going through your mind as that was happening, to see him come in the league right out the gate, have success, and then immediately they start trying to vilify him? You know, <laughs> my son lives in a prison. Unfortunately. You may say, oh. Yeah, figuratively, yeah, I, I know exactly. You're a star. But I can't call my son. Starting when he was a sophomore in college and say, hey, son, let's go to the mall. Right. Without being bothered. Right. Hey, son, let's. Let's go have dinner without being bothered. Hey, son, let's go to Mexico and just chill out without being bothered. Remember I said there was no book for me to read. Right. How to handle being a celebrity. Some athletes are just athletes. Some athletes are celebrities. There you go. 
Ezekiel Elliott happens to be a celebrity. Yes. Whenever your child grows up, the transition from boy to man is a very strange time for the parent and the boy becoming a man. Yes. As a father, I have to witness things on TV and deal with things in the public that most have to witness in private and deal in private. So to sit there and see my son's name flash on ESPN is very strange for me. And to see my son under attack and at times, I can't do nothing about it. I have to trust the process. I have to trust the men and women that I hired to put around him to handle that situation. Very true. And also, because now I'm a public figure, I can't even, if I wanted to admonish my son, because everything we do could be in a TMZ tabloid, what if I get upset and I go down to, and I wait to a, 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 the stadium and wait after the game to see my son? It's gonna be on everybody's news blog, everybody's newspaper. Okay, so, um, and then to see my son being crucified for things that, <clears throat> really was unfair. And also, I felt like I'm the best who could defend him. Mm. But I had to keep my mouth shut. That's your personal decision or who, who tells you, Stacey, hey, let's not, I know you want to talk. Is there someone handling the business of the Cowboys and Zeke to say, hold it It's still? not a direct thing. Okay. But, you know, Common sense would tell you, you don't want to like get yeah. caught up in no controversy and getting your son upset. I mean, at the end of the job, end of the day, the Dallas Cowboy is his employer. Yes. They are the boss. Um, so no one ever had enough guts to tell me not to say anything. <laughs> but I could tell. I could read the light, the <laughs> writing on the wall. Plus, common sense said, you know what? Best interest, yeah. Trust the process. I say because there was a time in his first year that, you know, we were at an event or I was at an event at a, a Dallas club. Uh, Z comes in, VIP, <clears throat> team around him, you know, cell phones try to come on, record, team around him. No, uh, you know, this is his first year, so they're looking for something. And most of them are just fans and just, you know, he's a celebrity. But the team around him is like, hey, you know, we're cutting all that out. Um, is that more so in place by, like you said, you putting people around him, him putting people around him, or just the, the league, you know, the league saying, hey, you know, we want to protect what's up? No, let me tell you, Ezekiel, even to this day, is the type of person, he don't like all that stuff. Yeah. But he's learned to accept it. When I had to get bodyguards for Ezekiel in college, he didn't want it. He didn't like it. He thought his teammates would be could protect him. Hell, your teammates need bodyguards. We're living in an era you knock somebody out, they suing you. We're living in an era you knock somebody out, you getting put off the team. 
So there was nights I was up all night worrying or I happened to go on the scene because people would be attacking Ezekiel, um, snatch his chain off his neck because he won't take a picture. This is when he's in college. Mm. And so having bodyguards and having all these people around, Ezekiel has never liked that. Now, he is a grown man now. So he picks people to do things now for him. And as a father, that makes me feel very happy, as any father would to see your child mature and take control of their own lives. So let's talk about the Cowboys and Zeke's run with them as far as, you know, you being a fan of football. Um, Zeke comes from good stock. And how is it for him as far as what you get as far as with this current loss and the losses before as far as what the Cowboys are expected to do and how far they get, um, uh, you know, from what Jerry wants, you know, reliving the 90s um, and wanting, you know, Zeke being a part of that. How is it for him, you know, from what you see as far as going through those, those times of like just not quite re- having to reset each year? Nobody hates losing more than Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott was fed from the moment he came out the womb to demand greatness on himself, to demand excellence on himself. As a father, I have been spoiled because Ezekiel has always been on winning teams. And Little League, they won several national championships. In high school, they went to the state championship three years in a row, never won, which kind of bothered me as a father, but I know it bothered Ezekiel more as a player and the type of person he is. But then he went to Ohio State. He was the MVP of the Sugar Bowl. He was the MVP of the national championship. And to this day, no one has broken his Sugar Bowl rushing record or national championship rushing record. And so we expect to win. Ezekiel expects to win. And so any loss for Ezekiel, he takes hard. If you look at his last interview of this last game, you see tears in his eyes because he don't play for money. He plays for his teammates. He plays for his coaches. He played for the Dallas Cowboys and he want to win. And this is why people criticize and say, well, why did Ezekiel sit out some games? He's hurt and all this and that. Well, A hurt Ezekiel is a lot better than most healthy running backs in the NFL. Right. Yeah, and and a report just came out that he he got hurt week four and played through it. So um, that just speaks to his mental toughness and just being able to do that. Um, But there was a clip about um, A.B., Antonio Brown, about how he was hurt and they tried to make him go in the game and he quit. And he talked about um, black players and the, the mental health and how the coaches make them play through the pain. You, you, as somebody, you know, that has played sports, how much of that goes on to where they're pushing these black athletes, or just athletes in general, yeah. to the point of using their body up and not really, you know, caring about the, you know, the outcome of it? 
Listen. My humble opinion. This ain't a black or white situation. When you play football, mentally, you have to be stronger than physically. At The Ohio State University, we call them elite warriors. 90% of the game is here. It's not a black and white thing. If you're gonna play the game of football, you have to be mentally tough. When I played, they made preseason two-a-day practices so tough that it made you want to quit playing football. Why? Because mentally, it was making you stronger than physically being strong. I would look at film when I played. Of me in the fourth quarter, and I knew I was tired in the fourth quarter, but when I would look at that film, my technique was as perfect as it was in the first quarter. Why? Because mentally, I had been trained. Ezekiel mentally has been trained to work through pain. Now listen, if you don't want no pain, you don't want to play football. This is the game of football. Nobody's making no black athlete or white athlete play football. It's the game. If you want to live, you got to die. Mm, if you want to lose weight, you got to stop eating. You got to exercise. There's cause and effect to everything. So like Ezekiel said in one of his interviews, he said, I've always played with pain. Every football player does. Yes. So to turn this into, well, they push us black athletes, do this and all that. Well, you ain't got to do it. You ain't got to play. Yeah. You just don't. Even, even when he uh, went through his uh, negotiation uh, where he you know, said, I'm going to wait out the preseason, um, were you part of uh, any of that as far as just, son, here's what you do? Or were you in his ear at any of that as far as just, here's how you play the game? Not Was that at more all. sort of agent? Not at all, because Rocky Arsenal was, he was an extension of how me and his mom was thinking. Okay, there you go. There you go. Because even right now, Ezekiel's selfless. He ain't thinking about no career like that. He ain't thinking about his legacy. He thinking about winning. There you go. So if he got to be out there all day just blocking and don't never touch the ball running, he might not like it totally, but he'll sacrifice yeah. to win. So... I didn't have to say anything. His agent kept him from going back because he wanted to go back. And while we on that note, I owe some of these so-called fans when they criticize Ezekiel's pay, play, they always talk about his pay. Okay, well why don't you say this man got injured in week four and played all these week in pain because he getting paid a lot of money. You don't hear nobody saying that. Wait till it's over. So there's some envy and jealousy involved 
into some of these people who want to criticize Ezekiel Elliott because you're worried about what he got paid, though you didn't cut the check. What do you say to like a Stephen A who, uh, you know, just rides this Cowboys team, just, yeah. just, he just rides it. What do you say to like a Stephen A? You know. And he had words with you at one point. <laughs> Stephen A. Smith, I'm going to give him this respect because he's a brother. And I have to realize he's an entertainer. And so what I saw in him this year, yeah, I watch him. Though he criticized the Dallas Cowboys, he gave them a lot of props, too, when they were winning. He did. He put his own number one at one point. So I'm not going to go in on Stephen A. right now. In the past, I'd be a little more emotional. But what I would say is, as black men, we have to stop destroying one another in public. We have to stop that. We, we as black men, Stephen A., we got enough ops to deal with. We don't need to be ops with one another. So um, I was going to ask you, we watched the Cowboys, you know, the first seven weeks of the season. They were like they look like the best team in football, right? And then you know we got we went and won and done. If you would have you being a football player, objectively speaking, right? If you were to sit back and say, what was the reason for us just fizzling out at the end? What would you attribute it to? <laughs> See, listen, when you're a parent, speaking. when you're a parent of a Dallas Cowboy, there's a gag order. Yeah, right. Opinionated. But let me say this. <laughs> I seen Mr. Jerry Jones cry on TV yeah. about losing. Yeah. I feel like if Mr. Jerry Jones crying, I should be crying with him. Yeah. I think we all was Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people are crying. A lot of people, but we, you know, because we we live like Cowboy fans are different. We like we really love our team. You know what I'm saying? And we just want the best. We just want that 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 parade one more time. You know. So there's a culture. Yeah. There's a culture that has to reconnect the culture that Mr. Jones represents. The culture that Cowboy Nation is starving for the culture that Cowboy Nation represent. That culture has to be among the coaches. That ha- culture has to be among the players. At Ohio State, you wasn't allowed to wear your helmet without a black stripe and with Buckeye leaves on it until you earn that black stripe to come off. Because there is a privilege to wear the scarlet and gray. There's a privilege to wear Dallas Cowboy uniform, the star on your helmet. That's a, a privilege that has to be earned, not given. Right. And so when we lose, as it was at Ohio State, we hate losing more than we love winning. And so God willing, This season coming up, the stars will finally line up 
with the stars on the helmet of athletes. Yeah, hey, listen, man, it's it's long overdue, and we want to see. It. And I'm just curious of your thoughts on just the way it looks, the way the Dallas Cowboys lose from Dez catch it to Romo felt falling, you know, missing the uh, the uh, the extra kick and running it in to just recently with Dak and the placement of the ball. Just it seems like it's always uh, it's not just a it's just so like there's some kind of theatrics to a loss. Like is it, it like down to the second? What is your thoughts as far as just being from a football vet to watching your son play and just being a fan of football in the way in which the theatrics the Cowboys might lose a game? See, football is like life. It's a game of inches. Very true. You could be one inch away, and you could be one inch in front. There were signs this past season where it looked like the stars were going to line up. The ball bouncing and bounce our way. There you go. Things were happening, yes. But as we got into the latter part of the season, bad calls. The ball didn't bounce our way. As a Dallas Cowboy, we got to understand this. And fans got to understand this. And as a player, we have to Understand this if we don't. Every week we play our opponent, it's their Super Bowl. That's true. They're going to give us their best game because the reality is many of the players on the other side wish they had a star in their helmet. And that's what makes wearing a star in your helmet so special because everybody, damn near, who play football with that star in their helmet. America's team. Very true. Now, with the with the passing of the great John Madden, I'm just curious of your thoughts and, you know, you having, you know, of course, extensive years of football knowledge, what would you say is your favorite or let's just say the greatest football movie? And outside of that, what would you say is the greatest football speech that you've seen if it's two different movies? Well, you know, <laughs> I've heard some great speeches. <clears throat> What's the name of that movie with Al Pacino's in it? He's a coach. Uh, Any Given Sunday. Any Given Any Sunday. Sunday. The itch. By, by an itch. That, 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 that speech by Al Pacino, that sums up everything for me. I put that to, my, I put that to everyday life. Yes, literally. sir. Literally. And that's just how I feel right now. I'm a middle-aged man, even though I look really young. There you go. There you go. I done pissed away a lot of different things. I done did things, and people have gotten mad, and it done turned on me. I can't do it for Ezekiel and the Dallas Cowboys right now. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could suit up and help out, but I just can't. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's very true. Very true. Very true. Any given Sunday, though. Right? Any given Sunday. If, any, if, any, if y'all ain't seen that, y'all go watch and come back and then finish this interview. Um, I do want to ask you as far as for going forward um, with your endeavors. Um, you were speaking on, you know, thoughts of a TV. I, I don't know if you could speak on it as far as what details you have on it because it's a genius idea, and I would love for you to lace it down here just so we can kind of get the 
the thought process and the ball rolling on that. Can you touch on as far as what you want to do uh, in that platform, with that platform, or with your platform going forward? So at Ohio State, I got the name Ambassador. Ambassador Elliott is what they call me. Outside of Ohio State, my brand grew where I have become an ambassador. I go to different universities. I work with different coaches. They roll out the white carpet, not the red carpet, because I didn't get here on the blood of no one. I got here on my pure intent to do good and to inspire people, to motivate people, and to give people hope. And so what I want to do is give celebrity parents, NFL fathers, a platform that they already have. Also, in doing that will help the brand of their sons or daughters because America wants to know the ingredients behind what made this person great. Uh, and so, for some reason, God has made me like the dean of celebrity fathers, the dean of NFL fathers, some of the biggest names in the professional world, parents, I know them. Can you uh, name a few of them as far as just that you're associated with or that you know? I would say Odell Beckham Sr. is my boy, that's my right hand. He mentored me through the process of my son from college to pros. Um, Jamal Adams' dad, George Adams, play, he played for the New York Giants. I, I watched him as a teenager growing up. He's a very good friend of mine. Chris Godwin's dad played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Rod Godwin is my boy, it's my guy. Um, Donovan McNabb, his father, Mr. McNabb, was another one of my mentors. Um, he mentored me, uh, especially during the process of Ezekiel going pro. Um, Joey, the Bosa's, the Bosa's, their father is a friend of mine. Our boys played together. Um, Billy Price Sr. Oh, yeah. Billy Price, his son played for the Giants. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Rod Smith, they played here, his dad. Um, Chase Young played for the Washington yeah, 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 team. Yeah. His dad, I mean, I go down the list. Is it like, do, y all, do all the, the fathers, they just meet up at games and, how, like, was it usually, just they reach out to each other? And Not really, I'm working on it. They come hang out with me, Jamar, <laughs> Jamar Chase, yeah. who's tearing up the league. His dad has become a friend. There you go. Uh, we were. Um, we were taught when he was in college. Now his dad has been at our suite here, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. See, America's team. I guess I'm like America's father. Yeah, right, right, you know? right. Um, I mean, you, 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 um, you're part of something special. Von right Miller, his family, his dad. Oh, definitely, yeah, they're um, from Dallas. Um, Michael Thomas. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, mean, I just go down the list. This goes you know? on. Um, so you do want to try to put together something as far as uh, what. Do you want to package it as uh, a show? Um, uh, like, what what are you wanting to do with just bringing these men together and 
upcoming, you know, for the new uh, young uh, NFL superstars and things like that, their father's coming into this. Because you're building, you're building something special here that they could tap into. I want, I want to, I want to chronologize the travels of the ambassador. Show him and his family, me, the ambassador, give people an inside view of what's going on, see my interactions with other families, fathers in particular. I want to do a hope camp. We have a 62-acre compound here outside of Dallas where I want to invite celebrity dads and children to come to this Hope Camp. And it won't just be around sports, but it'll be around life skills and hear from these men, you know, get to meet them and maybe even their sons. I would encourage your sons to be with their fathers at Hope Camp here in Dallas. Um, And I just want to continue to um, document and show America the very unique stories that's going on in America. You know, as a black man in America with all the obstacles we do have, I've come to understand that every human being has obstacles and anything worth having in this life is going to be a difficulty factor to it. And so I feel like America needs more positive stories. And so I just want to document that in the form of a show, exploring the world with the ambassador. I'm looking for, I, I look at it on the level of a, of a hard knocks and just going through the, the day ins and day outs of, you know, being in your position and, you know, seeing the real and the grit, but also seeing the triumphs because there's a lot of success stories through the failures that, you know, we need to be able to put out there, not just the media, TMZ, this happened. So I'm excited for what that's going to bring. Before we get out of here, I'm just curious, um, your take on who you feel is the greatest NFL player of all time, the GOAT, and why? I would say Lawrence Taylor. Mm. (laughs) LT. Lawrence Taylor is a man who I watched as a little boy Growing up, he's someone who I know personally now as an adult. And he's one of the most beautiful human beings you'll ever meet. Yeah, the media likes to exploit what they would say is his negatives or his weaknesses. But... The reason why I say he's the greatest football player that ever played his game is because he transformed a position where big guys, they would usually make alignment. He played linebacker. And his athletic ability paved the way for big guys who were athletic and how he took on offenses changed the whole game to how offenses offenses operate even today 
because of Lawrence Taylor. He is the GOAT in my category. Don't get a blind side. So, so, so I got to ask you this, lastly. Super Bowl predictions, man. Who you got? L.A. Rams. All right. The, Ram, the Rams is looking good. Kansas City. Kansas City. Ah. I, I love I love L.A. being in L.A. I just love that. I love L.A. being in L.A. LA, LA. And I love I love what my, yeah. I love Mahomes. Uh, what Mahomes is doing as far as just his family legacy and uh, just changing the NFL, man. So I feel it. I feel that's a perfect matchup. Uh, we gonna let. If that came, if that came to fruition, give us if give us a score just in case those who like to play the play, give us the over under what you feel is going to be. What do you? Twenty twenty four, L A Rams. That's what I'm calling it. Odell <laughs> Beckham Jr. MVP. Okay, I love. And it. I could be there with my tears, crying with his daddy. There you go. <laughs> Go ahead and speak it to fruition, man. Speak it into existence just like that, man. This has been not only a blessing, but it's been just a, a journey. Um, we definitely thank you uh, just for sitting down with us, starting this new venture of more things to come. Uh, but again, uh, for those that do probably want to follow you, want to see what your movements are, see what you're doing, see what's coming with uh, future endeavors on the show and things, uh, how can they follow you? How can they get at you? Where can they go see what you got going on? You can follow me on Instagram. I'm ambassador underscore Elliot or just Stacy Elliot. You can follow me on Facebook, Stacy Elliot. I'm on Twitter, Stacy Elliot. Um, and uh, just keep up with the ambassador. We're going to have a lot of great things, inspiring things uh, in store for the people. And I'm really excited about this off season. We're going to do some major things. Oh, yeah. COVID, COVID is COVID's around, but again, the NFL is moving forward and moving strong. So uh, for those that, uh, I mean, for any shout outs you want to give, is there anybody you'd like to shout out? I'd like to just give my family a shout out for just um, um, allowing me to, to, to tell our story and, uh, and uh, my children who made great sacrifice having a father like me. You know, I jokingly with them, I say, oh, I'm the cool dad, but you know, I know sometimes, um, you know, having a father that, that sometimes is publicly under attack or, or, you know, criticized, you know, could be trying. And, um, but I just want to give my family a shout out. I want to give the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan a shout out for, for, for being a great example for me and teaching me how to be a strong man, a man of conscience, uh, a man who respects himself and respects others, and a man who's dedicated his life to giving hope to the hopeless. And uh, above all, I wanna thank Almighty God for just allowing me to be alive and blessing me to come through the womb of a woman I'd never met. I've never met my real mom. If she's out there and she's still looking for little Stacy, I'm here. <laughs> there you go. And uh, waiting on you. Do you feel like uh, it's crazy because she, you know, if ever she saw this, or do you do you feel like even Zeke will go back and watch your interviews and either is it's too cringeworthy or like he he still like listens to the stories or like your stories that you tell? Zeke, yo, 
watches everything. There you go. And he don't like, he don't hit like. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Zeke, man. Shout out the Cowboys, man. And, and uh, hey, for, again, like this one, Zeke. <laughs> I want to like this one. Now, this is a story, again, this is, this, is, this, is a, this is an American story right here, which, again, thank you for coming on our platform to tell it. Thank you for having um, me. And it's only been a blessing, man. Uh, Stacey L on the couch, the ambassador. The ambassador. I got to say, you are a real life street star. Yes, indeed. We salute. Thank you. Salute. Yep. Shout out to Real Street Stars, nigga. Move.